0: Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of God.
1: This passage takes place just after the resurrection, and it's the pivotal moment in the disciple Peter's life, the apostle Peter. And through it, we're going to learn some amazing truths about Jesus and his gospel. There are three things that the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us. One, a genuine community. Two, a soulful restoration. And lastly, a remarkable commission. A genuine community a soulful restoration, and a remarkable commission. First, we're going to look at genuine community. In verses 1 to 14, I'm going to give you a brief rundown of what happens. You got Thomas, you have Nathaniel, you have James and John and two other people, and they go with Peter on a boat late at night to catch fish. They're skilled fishermen, but they catch nothing. It's early in the morning, and Jesus is on the shore, and he calls out, I want you to throw your net on the right side of the boat, and they do. And remarkably, they catch 153 fish. And John says to Peter, it is the Lord. And Peter immediately starts to head towards Jesus while the other disciples are bringing in the boat and the fish. Now, Jesus has a fire ready with the fish, and he asks for some of the fish that they caught. And so they break bread, and they eat fish, and they eat together. Together. Why did Jesus bring them together as disciples? Some of them were fishermen. Some of them were, were tradesmen. We have a tax collector. There were zealots. There were skeptics and easy believers. There were feelers in the room. There were thinkers in the room. Now, these people, when you put them all together, they don't generally get along naturally. So what do we see here? The gospel transcends all personalities, all status boundaries, socioeconomic class. In a thriving church, there are common experiences among different types of people all centered around our personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And as a result, there are tremendous opportunities for greater wisdom, greater blessing, greater richness. And as a result, there are tremendous opportunities uh, when you think about this because the experience of knowing other Christians and their experience of Jesus Christ, their encounter with Jesus brings us. A greater experience of Jesus Christ in greater dimensions. The experience of knowing other Christians and their experience of Jesus Christ brings us an experience of Jesus in greater proportions, greater dimensions. Now, think about this their master was shamed, their master was tortured, their master was executed. So it's dangerous to come together, it's foolish to come together. If you think about it, why did they come together? It's because they had a newfound confidence. There was a new newfound confidence built on the reality of a risen Savior. And that that reality, it transcended their present reality. It transcended their present fear of persecution. It made them intentional because they didn't fear death anymore because Jesus Christ was their life. And even death couldn't hold Jesus down. So there's greater intentionality because there's a greater hope Because there's a greater joy. Because there's a greater promise. And that promise is real. There's a greater reality because Jesus Christ lives. Genuine community. One not founded on personal desires or selfish desires. But great intentionality despite all the differences. And God uses and works and weaves all these things together to advance his kingdom and his gospel. Now, the second point is, that there's a soulful, deep restoration. And this is the focus of today's lesson. Now think about this. All the disciples betrayed Jesus. All of the disciples abandoned Jesus, but Peter, the disciple Peter, he denied Jesus three times. The other disciples, they were broken by what they did, but Peter, he was the most broken by what he did. The other disciples, they felt shame because of what they did, but Peter had the most shame in what he had done. And so Jesus, after his resurrection from the dead, what did he do? He goes to restore his friend Peter in this passage. Look at the grace of God. Look at the mercy of Jesus. Look at the love of Jesus. Look at the commitment of Jesus. Look at the faithfulness of Jesus. Look at the compassion of Jesus. And how does he restore Peter? Jesus masterfully takes Peter along his own spiritual journey to remind him of what the resurrection is about. And what he reminds Peter, we're reminded of today. And Tim Keller, I mean, my favorite preacher, he puts it beautifully. First, what he does is you see the catch of fish. You see the boat. You see the net and the haul. That's a reminder of the first time that Peter meets Jesus, really at the beginning of his spiritual journey here with jesus in luke chapter 5 jesus tells peter i want you to put out your net into deep water and when they did they caught so much that the net began to break and peter responds when he sees jesus when he encounters him he says go away from me i am a sinful man the first time that he met jesus he wanted to get away from jesus why he saw jesus's power He saw Jesus' wisdom, and it overwhelmed him. Peter, he's the emotional one. But here in this passage, what do you see? John's normally that rational thinker. John's normally the rational processor. But here, Peter is the rational one. Even after his greatest failure, he wants, he rationalizes and realizes he needs to get as close to Jesus as possible. He wants to be near other people who are near Jesus. He wants to be near other people who know Jesus, even though he had sit rock bottom. There's failure, but that failure shaped him. It shaped him in a way that brought him closer to Jesus. Do you see that? How do you deal with failure? Spiritual immaturity says, I want to run away. How do you deal with moral failure? Most of the time, what we say because we're immature, we want to run away. We're so surprised at our failure. We're so disappointed in our failure. But Peter, he's he's finally starting to get it. He runs towards Jesus because he's getting the gospel. And what is the gospel? That the defining factor in our relationship with God is not what we did. It's not what we do, but it's what Jesus did and what Jesus does for us. That's the meaning of the resurrection. That's the meaning of Resurrection Sunday. We need to build our self-image on that truth, because think about this: if you build it on the fact that you're able, that you're a capable person, that you're a wealthy person, that you're a well-liked person, that you're a good person, then any failure, any sin, will send you into a tailspin. You're going to say and you're going to act like this. you're going to say, "Get away from me. I need to get away from you." Peter, he doesn't run away from Jesus this time. He runs to Jesus. It's a sign that he's growing up. It's a sign that his failure has shaped him towards Christ. Stop spending your energy covering over your flaws or running from yourself. You need to redirect that energy to running to Christ. Because for a Christian, the knowledge of our sin, it makes the sight of Jesus more beautiful, even though it makes us much more ugly. Stop spending that energy covering over that ugliness, redirect it towards Christ. You know, on one hand, C.S. Lewis, the great author, he says, Jesus is not safe. Jesus is dangerous. He's the Lion of Judah, but he's good. And that means you are safe in him. Resurrection Sunday is the healing of our self-image so that you can rest in Jesus. And that means that's the end of our work. That's the end of hard labor. That's the end of anxiety, wondering where you stand with others and with God. As they move into this uh, passage, we see the cold. We see the, the, the late night, the early morning, the fire. It's reminiscent of the night of, of Jesus' betrayal when Peter actually betrayed Jesus. In John chapter 18, they ask Peter three times, aren't you his disciple? And Peter responds, I am not. I am not. In fact, he's emphatic. He curses Jesus. And he says this in the cold. He says this as they're standing by the fire. And this episode here, this narrative, reminds him of how he broke his promise to his master. I mean, who's going to ever trust me again? Who's going to ever follow me again? He thought he could perform better than any of the other disciples, but he performed worse than all of them. But if you look at Acts chapter 2, the very next book in the Bible, in chapter 2, who do you see? You see Peter He's out in the open, and he's preaching to the crowd. There's power in his life. He's no longer worried about saving himself because he's found himself. One of the fruits of repentance, when we're deeply repentant, one of the fruits is humility because you're no longer building your life or your identity on your own. There's no more pride in that sense. My life is hid with Christ on high with Christ my Savior and my God. That's going to make you very bold. Resurrection Sunday is a new boldness because you have a new identity in Jesus. They're in the cold. They're standing by the fire. But there's fish. There are loaves. What does that remind you of? It reminds you of the miracle, the greatest miracle when Jesus Christ fed the 5,000. John chapter 6, there's the power of Jesus. Notice, Jesus, he doesn't restore Peter in spite of his brokenness and betrayal, but through that brokenness and betrayal. He uses Peter's brokenness to show how gracious he is, how forgiving he is, how loving he is, how trusting he is, how empowering he is. That's what humbles Peter. And if that's what humbles Peter, then in our failures, that's what will humble us. That's what restores Peter. And if that's what restored Peter, that could restore us. Because think about this. Peter saw that it was through Jesus' own brokenness that Peter was brought in. He's alive. Jesus says, I'm alive. Feed my sheep. I'm entrusting them to you. Jesus will use our brokenness, our hurts, our deepest brokenness, our deepest pains, our deepest hurts to restore the world. And so in this conversation, Jesus says to Peter, I'm going to use you. Now I can use you. It was never about your ability in the first place. It was never about your strength in the first place. It was never about, it was never about those things. It was about, it's about your weakness. It's about your inability. It's about my power and my ability to redeem you through your inability. I want you to feed my sheep. If you've ever been hurt, if you've ever been shamed, if you've ever been betrayed, Jesus can bind all, all those things and use it to redeem his people. And that will heal you. That will strengthen you. In verse 15, he asks Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? Now scholars for centuries have been debating what these are. Uh, and the reality is because some people, they comment, some commentators, they say he must be referring to the fish or he must be referring to the equipment, the fishing as a profession, as an occupation. He must be referring to the disciples that are sitting around him. The reality is we don't really know what Jesus was referring to, but in Mark chapter 14, Jesus predicts that he will be struck down and that all the disciples will betray him and that they will be scattered. And Peter responds and he says to him, even if all fall away, I will not. In other words, I love you more than these. I love you more than these. What is sin? Sin is breaking promise. Sin is denial of Jesus. Sin is rebellion against Jesus. Sin is betrayal against Jesus. In verse 15, we get to the crux Jesus says, Peter, you failed me. Peter, you failed me. Peter says, I know. Essentially, that's what he's saying. I know, but I love you. Verse 16, Peter, you failed me. I know, but I love you. Verse 17, the third time, just completely just broke Peter. He's got no defense. He says, I know. You know, I love you. Notice, there's no blame shifting Notice there's no complaints. Peter is just broken here. And notice, Jesus doesn't bring up the actual act. He goes deeper. Because if you were to bring up just the act itself, Peter would want to make up for that act. Oh, so what you're saying is just don't do these things anymore. If it was just an act, Peter would feel bad for himself. Peter would feel self-pity. He would feel bad about the consequences that he's experiencing, but he wouldn't necessarily repent. And so Jesus goes deeper. He asks, do you love me? He's asking, why then would you betray me? And the answer is because, why would you betray anyone? It's because you love something else more. You're driven by something else more. There was another functional God that you thought could save you. You know that there was another functional God that was present. Present in your fraud, present in your lies, present in your betrayal. Maybe you love your relationship more, or maybe you love your title more, your wealth, your bank account, your 401k. In this day and age right now, I mean, this economy is falling apart and everybody's gripped by fear. So there are lots of loves that are knocking on your door, that are speaking into your your ear, telling you that you need these things to save you. It's easy to do that. It's easy to fall away instantly. Peter, if you were just to, if you were just asked, you know, why did you do this thing? Why did you just commit this act? It would have just been about the act, but Jesus goes deeper. He knows that Peter loves something else more. And when the person that you love most is the person that you betrayed the most, is the person that you love the most, is the person who loves you most, that just rips you apart. It humbles you. What does Jesus do? Upon hearing what Peter says, does Jesus say, well, then Peter, you need to pay. These are the 10 things I need you to do to prove to me that you love me. Or Peter, you're out. I can't take you anymore. I wanted to bring you here to show you all the stuff that I've done for you. Or do you want me? You want to go back in? Then you must pay the price. No, Peter doesn't. Jesus doesn't do that. He says to Peter, "Feed my sheep." That's amazing, because Jesus loves his sheep. Jesus treasures his sheep. Jesus lays down his life for his sheep. So really what Jesus is saying is, Peter, you failed me. Peter says, I know. Jesus says, I'm going to trust you with that which I treasure most. And he says it three times. There were three denials. There were three I trust yous. He's healing every sin. He's healing every brokenness. What Jesus did on the cross is so sufficient and so abundant to heal every brokenness, every sin, every weakness, every failure, every flaw. He did it with Peter. He did it with Peter then, and it shaped Peter's life. It transformed Peter. It made him a bold person that stopped pursuing his own desires. And if he can do that to Peter, he can do that for us today. He can take you through every step of your spiritual journey in life and remind you that the meaning of resurrection sunday is healing for your self image safety in him the healing of your identity and deep soulful restoration do you see that do you trust that to the degree that you trust that this is the end of your fatigue this is the end of your anxiety this is the beginning of real joy this is the beginning of real power Instead of pursuing the the lesser powers, now you can go to real power and experience real power, greater potential. Resurrection Sunday is about that. Deep, soulful restoration. Lastly, it's about commission. Jesus offers a challenge, a commission. Verse 18 to 19, Jesus says, you see, Peter, when you were young, you dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and someone else will lead you to where you do not want to go. True maturity in Christ is built on a character of surrender, not just acts. When you see a child get dressed, a a baby or an infant get dressed, they stretch out their arms. You dress them. When you walk a child across the street, they hold out their arms because What happens is, when you stretch out your hand, you're being led. When you stretch out your hand, you're surrendering. You're dependent. You're vulnerable. There's no defense. When someone takes you by the hand, where they go is where you go. And Jesus is saying, if you apply the gospel, there's first a love for Jesus. Secondly, there's a surrender to Jesus before you go on mission for Jesus. If you do any of those things before, you're just using Jesus. If you go on mission for Jesus before, you love Jesus. If you... if you Surrender to Jesus before you even love Jesus. You're just using Jesus to get, to fulfill your agenda. But when there's a love for Jesus and a surrender to Jesus, you can go on mission for Jesus. Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. Clearly, for Peter, stretching out your hand, your hands, it, meant, it was really meant as a double entendre uh, about him going to the cross. What is uh, What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I want you to build the pattern of your life around my death, what I've accomplished, what I've done for you. It's a gospel-centered life. Christian maturity is marked by our ability to surrender to Jesus. How do you surrender to Jesus? You have to look to Jesus as ultimate surrender. Jesus Christ, the most wise person that ever walked the earth. Jesus Christ, who had the most intimate relationship, God. But during his own spiritual journey, he was set up from the beginning for it to be a life of surrender. And so Jesus Christ stretched out his hands. He stretched it out to heal. He stretched it out to touch. He stretched it out to feed. He stretched it out to bless. He stretched it out to forgive. But instead of being dressed, Jesus Christ was ultimately stripped naked. Instead of going wherever he wanted, he was led to the cross where he stretched out his hands and he died. So on the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what he's saying there is, my God has departed from me. Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says, he who had no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel summed up in one verse. That's Easter Sunday. Resurrection Sunday summed up in one verse. Jesus Christ said, God has departed from me because he has become sin. I'm utterly helpless, and so I've been abandoned. I'm ultimately shamed. I'm ultimately afflicted. Why? So that we could be healed. I'm ultimately lost. Why? So that we could be embraced. I've lost my identity. Why? So that we could be found in him. Our lives are hid with Christ on high. I'm ultimately forsaken, Jesus cried out, so that we could have an identity in him. On the cross, Jesus Christ is working and groaning and slaving and crying so that you could rest in him. He's working and groaning and slaving and tearing, but he's also praying. And he's reciting scripture, Psalm 22 totally helpless, totally weak so that we can have power in him and yet he's living the life that we should live even on the cross, he's trusting God. Even on the cross, he's reciting scripture. Even on the cross, he's going first to God's word, trusting in God's word. If the gospel is not real or deep, something other than God himself will lead you. It may be your wealth. It may be your educational status. It may be your social status. And just like Peter, it's gonna send you into the tailspin. You will betray other people. You will walk all over people. You will do whatever it takes to fulfill your agenda, and you will be broken. But when the gospel goes deep, you will see that the most beautiful person that ever lived, the most powerful person that ever lived, the most mature person who ever walked the earth, emptying himself for you, experiencing shame for you, taking on the full wrath of God for the penalty of our sins, stretching out his hand and still reaching for the Father and trusting the Father, even unto death, that's ultimate surrender. When you see Jesus Christ sacrificing and surrendering for you, He did it for you. When that becomes personal, to the degree that's personal, then you will be able to stretch out your hands in dependence of God, in surrender to God, and also in vulnerability, in forgiving, in feeding, in healing, in touching, in reaching, in embracing other people. To stretch out your hands is to be vulnerable. That's what's going to happen. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. That's the meaning of the resurrection. Let that be not just Resurrection Sunday. Let that be your every day. Let Resurrection Sunday ring in your ears and in your souls forevermore. Let's pray together.